0: reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 11, reading verses 19 to 26. Uh, So let us hear the word of God with joy and hearing in faith. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The, uh, the context of our passage this morning, uh, it's a beginning struggle uh, in the church of uh, what to do with Gentiles coming to faith. Uh, we'll, we'll follow that theme really on through Acts 15, just it's a nagging question uh, that never really goes away. I, I don't think it's gone away today uh, in, in, uh, in the life of the church. Uh, but Nonetheless, uh, there's been this dramatic change that uh, God has given to Gentiles, faith and repentance, and they come into the church. Uh, and their coming into the church is uh, a very dominant theme in the book of Acts. Uh, because Gentiles come streaming into the church, uh, and uh, one of the things that uh, Luke will teach us this morning is uh, why that's going to occur. Uh, namely, uh, it is the Father's uh, the Father's gift uh, to God the Son. So that's where we are this morning in our text, looking at this. Uh, incredible gift that the Father is giving to the Son. And and we will trace it in our passage this morning uh, in uh, geographic advance, but also in numeric advance. uh, Because the Father is really going to give this gift to to the Son for what he did upon the cross. Uh, And so the key to processing uh, the change of Gentiles coming into the church... Uh, is uh, understanding that it's a doctrinal event, it's a prophetic event, uh, and uh, it's a magnificent uh, event uh, in light of the gift of the Father returning to the Son for His loyalty upon the cross. And so the key to understanding the coming of the Gentiles in the church is uh, what what God is doing and why, why He's doing it. Uh, and, you know, by the way, that's, uh, that's why we should process most everything in life. What is God doing? Why is he doing it? Uh, well, in verses 19 to 21, God is accelerating the change geographically. There's geographic expansion. Uh, for those of you that are military historians, you study great battles and One side begins to advance geographically and cross borders and overtake towns and cities and dictators, whatever. And then sometimes they have to retreat uh, because the other side uh, begins to marshal its forces. Well, uh, everything in God's kingdom is always advanced. There is no retreat. Uh, But in 1921, it's an incredible geographic change uh, that's uh, caused very ironically. It's caused by tribulation. Now, how does that work? <laughs> well, it just works because God uses tribulation to advance His kingdom. Generally, when there's tribulation, we you know, church, oh woe is me, God's losing ground. What's going to happen? No, it's not the way it works in God's kingdom. Uh, he uses everything to advance the gift to His uh, to His Son. And of course, the tribulation is connected to the martyrdom of Stephen. It's really connected to the martyrdom of Christ and then the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, but uh, but that's uh, the majesty of God, that he takes what seemingly is the worst and turns it into advance. And by the way, wonderful application there for you in your life. Uh, because we live in a world that uh, is in the grips of sin, bad things will happen to you. And... Uh, because you're a son of God, uh, he will turn them to good. Uh, Because that's what God does. Here in this text, he's turning the uh, martyrdom of Christ and Stephen to good in uh, geographic advance. Uh, In this case, uh, Acts 11, 19-26, he scatters his people north to Phoenicia uh, and uh, Antioch west to Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, is uh, southwest from Jerusalem. So three points of the compass, God's people are advancing. Uh, And and these three points of the compass are very important. Uh, They represent to me a uh, geographic allusion to the great uh, promise of God the Father to God the Son. Uh, And whenever you retreat to the great promises that are Trinitarian, between the members of the Trinity, you know that something radical is happening and that's an earth-shattering event and that nothing can get away of uh, these great promises uh, between the members of the Trinity. So if you would, uh, let's look at another promise of geographic advance in Isaiah chapter 49. Uh, Because this is really the key of uh, of what's occurring in in Acts chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 49. you, uh, you perhaps know this as one of the servant songs. Uh, God's extolling the majesty of uh, the servant son uh, that you and I know as Jesus. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 49, verse 12. Behold, these shall come from afar, and lo, these will come from the north and from the west and from the land of Sinim. So bear with me, if you think of the points of the compass, the three points of the compass in Acts chapter 11, northwest and Sanim was a town southwest Egypt. So three points of the compass promised to the sun in Isaiah 49, now being fulfilled in Acts 11. Uh, the immediate context is very important. If you think back of this servant song, uh, because he complains over his apparent failure. If you look at Isaiah 49.4, I said, again, Jesus is speaking. I said, I've toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. I mean, I don't, I don't know this for certain, uh, that Jesus perhaps in uh, his incredible sufferings on the cross was perhaps thinking those very words. I, he looks around, everyone's gone. His own disciples have fled. Uh, whether he said it or not, it's in the servant song, which applies to Christ. He's spent, I failed. good reminder, again, to recover back to the Trinitarian promises. There's no such thing as failure with God. It may look to be failure, but God cannot fail. If he, if he could fail, he wouldn't be God. Uh, so the servant son in Isaiah 49 is complaining uh, because uh, seemingly there's nothing. He gave his life and now nothing is happening. And so God answers, God answers his servant son by promising that he will have success. Uh, And the the announcement uh, of that success uh, begins in verse 7 with very important words for thus says the Lord. The son is complaining. God answers him, thus says the Lord. You know, by the way, if you're like me, and I suspect many of you are, you've encountered numerous failures in life. Woe is me. I'm undone. Remember the Word of God. Thus says the Lord. So is addressing Jesus as the Messiah. And the Father promises that He will reverse the apparent misfortunes. Notice I said the word apparent. There was apparent failure on the cross. All of His disciples have scattered. Uh, and, they, and some of them, as you know, return back to their old occupations You know, Peter goes fishing. Well, it was good while it lasted. Uh, Now nothing is happening. I guess we uh, latched our wagon to a broken horse. I I suspect they complain too, but the, the failure is only apparent. Even in your life, if you're a son of God, failure is only apparent because God turns in his majestic power. If you look at Isaiah 49... Uh, last part of verse 7. Again, the Father promising to God the Son, to the one abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes shall bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. So the Father has just answered the Son. Kings will stand. Your presence. Princes will bow. And... Uh, uh, I'm going to be faithful because I've chosen you. It's very important to to recognize uh, uh, that the promise of the Father is based upon election and the faithfulness of Him who is always faithful, that God is faithful. He was faithful to His servant's son. And by the way, He will be faithful to you. Just like the servant's son hanging upon the cross, uh, I cannot promise you that you will not discover, uh, go through difficult times in your life, because you certainly will. But the overarching thing that you should remember is that uh, God promises to his many sons that he is faithful. God is always faithful. That is who God is. He is faithful. Uh, who, who is able to turn apparent failure into great victory. Uh, then there's another promise in the servant song, Isaiah 49, verse 8, begins like the first promise. Thus says the Lord. That's why you as a Christian should always be repairing to the Word of God. Uh, Because things in your life will grow chaotic and cloudy uh, if the Scriptures have a small place. Thus says the Lord. Uh, And the language in verse 8 speaks to a covenant affecting restoration. Uh, In the favorable time I have answered you, in the day of salvation I have helped you, I will keep you and give you a covenant of the people. So God makes an eternal covenant. It's the eternal covenant of redemption. Uh, Just as a quick reminder to you, there was a covenant of works with Adam. Adam failed, judgment came. Uh, In the covenant of redemption, Christ works in our place, and His obedience uh, saves us, and salvation comes. Uh, And then in verses 9 to 11, there's a promise of his incredible exodus uh, and that uh, Christ is the provision all along the way. Uh, There's the the promise in verse 10, you will will not hunger or thirst. Uh, And it's verses like that that uh, remind us of the majesty of the provision of Christ. uh, The Father... Uh, gifting to the servant son who then gifts to us uh, the provisions all along the way. One of the themes of uh, the book of Isaiah is the second exodus, return from Babylon, greater fulfillment than the New Testament that you and I are in the last great exodus and all along the way, God will provide for us. As he provided for his uh, sons in the wilderness with uh, manna and water, Christ says in John 6:54, he who eats my bread and drinks my blood as eternal life. I'll raise Him up on the last day. That's a promise to you. You won't be forgotten. He will raise you up on the last day. God is faithful because of the faithful Father and the faithful Son. Uh, John 7.37 Last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And rivers of water in the provision of the Spirit. Children of Israel in the wilderness got thirsty, they complained. God always provides. God always provides for his sons. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. The majesty of the servant, Son. Uh, and Jesus is also our guide, Isaiah 49:10. Uh, he will guide them to the springs of the water of life. Fulfilled in our life, in God's daily provisions, but fulfilled uh, eternally. Uh, Revelation 7.16, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat them down, nor any heat. Uh, For uh, the Lamb upon the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. Incredible promise. Set it in the context of the servant song, the Father now gifting to the Son... Three points of the geographic compass, the eternal exodus, a great throng of people. So think about it. Well, the second exodus, who's with me? I look around. There's not many people there. My friend, you have no idea of the people thronging and coming to Christ and engaging the second exodus. We just need to be reminded that we need to see these things through faith. It's a good reminder to us, however, that Jesus is the journey and He's also the destination. If you're wondering about life without Christ, uh, just remind you from the Scriptures you're in a bad way. Things will not go well for you. Uh, You may prosper in this world. You may achieve titles. You uh, uh, You may put initials behind your name. All those things have a place again not trying to disparage uh, blessings, but uh, the only real blessings are in Christ. Uh, but, but returning to the geography, the expanse is now universal. So the three points of the compass in Isaiah 49 now are being fulfilled in Acts 11. Uh, and the coming of Gentiles is a reminder that it's universal fulfillment. Uh, and uh, reminder that uh, the fulfillment engages the identity of the servant's son. Uh, we know it's going to be universal because in Isaiah 49, uh, uh, one of the promises to God the Son is He'll be a light to the nations. So that the coming of the Gentiles is that signal that the nations are coming to Christ. I mean, think about uh, it. In, in the context of the dispensation of the Old Testament. Uh, you came to Christ, you had to go through the portal of Israel. Uh, that was a forerunner of Christ, but now that Christ has come, you don't have to go through the portal of Israel anymore. Uh, and that's really the geographic expansion before us. Uh, the light is now going to the nations. It's a great text that I, I love. It turned the Gospel of Luke. Uh, chapter 13, it's just so marvelous in terms of all that it means in the coming of the nations. And, and really, by the way, you're coming to Christ. Uh, Luke 13, uh, uh, verse, verse 29, a marvelous, marvelous promise. And keep it in the context of the Son uh, complaining, uh, nothing has happened, I've spent my life in in vain. Uh, notice what we read in Luke 13, uh in verse verse 29. And they will come from east and west and from the north and south and will climb at table in the kingdom of God. The four points of the compass now. God plundering the nations, north, south, east, and west. None with help. People will come. And by the way, why will they come? Because uh, God's going to bring them in his power. So so the change in Acts is eschatological fulfillment that is a vestige of the promise of God the Father to God the Son that you haven't toiled in vain and I'm going to show you what I'm going to do for you. One of the greatest gifts of all time, the four points of the compass, no retreat, only advance. And that's what really the book of Acts is about, to the ends of the earth. Well, of course, as is always the case uh, uh, in Acts 11, some don't get it. There's always some that just have a difficult time connecting uh, eschatological fulfillment, really connecting it, the promise of the Father to the eternal Son, which certainly rivets it in uh, certainty. Uh, So they go to the corners of the compass, but they speak the word only to Jews. They still haven't grasped what's occurred. Uh, Others get it, and they they grasp the theology. So men, again, Acts 11.20 from Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, come to Antioch, and they preach the Lord Jesus to Greeks. They they understand now that it's become a universal event, uh, taking uh, the word of God to the nations. A beautiful reminder here of the psalm that I read this morning to begin our worship service. Uh, God says to the Son, uh, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. And so the Son asks. uh, At the start, the cross, there is apparently very few coming, but then it turns into a torrent. And the torrent is the book of Acts. Uh, So, a good reminder He asks for the nations. God the Father gives him the nations. Gentiles coming to faith. In the very ends of the earth for your possession. Think about it. I'm always amazed uh, because I'm a part of it. People, Someday I want to own my own home. Uh, Someday I want to have that cabin wherever. Uh, Someday I'd like to uh, own a piece of the mountains and Wyoming, wherever, that favorite place of the earth to you. Do you know that entire geographic expanse belongs to God the Son, who's going to give it to his many sons? It'll be changed because God's going to fire it all and make it better. Incredible promise, geographic expanse. Uh, It's it's also another prophetic fulfillment, Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, the Father says to the Son that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve Him. His dominions an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. Incredible promise. Daniel 7.14. It's coming to pass in the book of Acts. Think about it. All of the kingdoms of the world have faded. Rome, Greece, Athens, Sparta, Egypt not so the dominion of the Son of God. And, uh, and God blesses the advance because He promised to do so in Isaiah 49. Because the Word of God never fails. If you, if you look at Acts 11, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now I want to remind you of my theology here because it's so incredibly important. They believed and they turned to the Lord. The question is, how did they? Because of the hand of the Lord, the power of God. That's the only way anyone can turn to the Lord. Uh, Because of the fall of Adam, we were rendered totally unable to turn to the Lord. The only way that we could turn to the Lord is He would turn us. And that's what's occurring. Uh, God in His grace turning, the hand of the Lord, the power of God. It's a figure of speech, of course. God... God is a spirit, he doesn't have hands. Uh, But it's a way that we can understand the majesty of his power, the hand of the Lord turning. Uh, It's important for us to recognize uh, this event is occurring in Antioch. Antioch was a large metropolitan city. Uh, Idolatry was uh, very present, uh, as it is everywhere today. Uh, But in God's uh, gift to the Son, he turns uh, many idolaters to himself. Uh, and again, I, I rivet you again to the immediate context. Uh, Acts eleven eighteen. 18. Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Many were turning to the Lord. They were repenting of their idolatry. And how were they able to do that? Because God gave them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. So, God is gathering Gentiles by turning them. Uh, It's very important you recognize in this context uh, that He is turning them absent the ceremonial law. That's what the Jewish Christians were struggling over. Wait a minute, what about circumcision? What about this? What about that? Uh, Well, the answer is Christ is the answer. In the portal of uh, the new Israel, and He's the new Israel. And uh, it's important for you and I to recognize that Antioch will become the staging ground for the first missionary journey, which will uh, consume our studies, God's grace, and weeks to come. First missionary journey. Geographic advance in fulfillment of Isaiah 49 when God the Father says to the Son, you haven't toiled in vain, and I'm going to give you the nations And you and I are reading about it in the book of Acts. Greatest gift of all time. And think about it. Husbands, every Christmas you try to get a good gift to your your spouse or your mother, whatever. Go out to the store and you, you try to give the best you can. Well, God the Father is giving to the Son the nations. Greatest gift of all time. If you know Him, you're a part of that gift. That's why you came. Because He made you that gift. Well, let's shift uh, uh, in Acts 11, because Luke gives us the shift from geography to theology. uh, That God is accelerating the change theologically. Verses 22 to 26. Again, uh, we should always look at the events of life theologically. Uh, you, should, you should learn the Bible, but you should also learn theological systems to help you process that change, what it means. One of the reasons I opened our, our service this morning, reading from Psalm 2. Everywhere in America, the nations are in an uproar. The people are shouting vain things. You know, Some guy says, I'm going to see a statue of Christ. I'll tear him down. And what is God doing? He's laughing. Laughing. Can't oppose it the kingdom of God. Uh, oppose it to your harm, to be sure. But you and I need to recognize, maybe we're sad because of what's occurring, but heaven is laughing. Uh, Because that gift is going to go to the Son. Nothing will get in His way. And His statue can't be toppled. So the church at Jerusalem dispatches Barnabas to Antioch to validate the work that's going on. Very important to recognize the importance of ecclesiology. Uh, Incredible change in Acts is the church. It's going to rise in prominence. It ought to rise in prominence and preeminence in your life. I, I sometimes... Woe is me, the church is in retreat. Boo-hoo. You know, pull all the shades. Not even my wife can console me. Oh, the church. My friend, the church is going to prevail. Why? Uh, Because of Christ. Not even the gates of hell will prosper against it. So we're on a good side, aren't we? Theological interpretation of history. You're on the right side if you're a Christian. And the gates of hell and all their ravages cannot stop the church because of the promise of God the Father to God the Son. Well, Barnabas, of course, uh, had good credentials. Luke says he was a good man full of Holy Spirit and faith. Uh, and, uh, and notice, notice what uh, uh, Barnabas uh, validates in verse 23. When he had come, he witnessed. Uh, the Greek text is literally he having seen. He saw something. He witnessed the grace of God and he rejoiced began to encourage them uh, all with resolute hearts to remain true to the, to the Lord. That's a notable uh, event uh, for a couple of reasons. The grace of God is saving Gentiles. How does God save anybody? His grace. If it wasn't grace, no one would be saved. His goodness and mercy to gather uh, a gift uh, to the only begotten Son the Lord Jesus. Uh, But notice in the text the theology that's not here. Something absent. What's absent? He does not press the ceremonial law upon them. It's very important because in the presence of Christ, the entire ceremonial law has been fulfilled and it goes away. It goes away. So Barnabas does not say, uh, I'm setting up a clinic for circumcision. It'll be open 9 to 5 tomorrow. We'll break for lunch. No, he doesn't say that, does he? Because circumcision is fulfilled when God circumcises your heart uh, and the old is cut away when you believe in Christ. He doesn't go through their closets looking for mixed fabrics. You know, in the Old Testament law—you couldn't wear a mixed fabric. Uh, I mean, we do that all the time in our country, mixing fabrics. Well, it's not against biblical law now. So, uh, Barnabas doesn't say, "Open your closets." Thank God. We don't have to be concerned about those things. Of course, in the Old Testament, it was always a sign pointing to the majesty of Christ. Uh, He doesn't go uh, through their kitchen cabinets looking for unclean food. Lots of unclean food. (laughs) I always smile when I read a kosher label. I mean, I understand. I understand. I get it. Different religious traditions. Uh, contrary, of course, to the gift of uh, God the Father to God the Son. Food laws have now been fulfilled, pointing to Christ. We don't have to worry about those things. Uh, I mean, aren't we thankful as Americans? Bacon makes everything better. But but, but he does something that's very notable here very profound in what he does do. He doesn't go look in their cabinets, and their closets, uh, doesn't set up a medical clinic. What he does do is very, very critically important because it's the nature of the gift of God the Father, the God the Son. Uh, if you look at verse 23, he began to encourage them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And that's the nature of the gift. It is a profound nature. Uh, Talk about that momentarily. Uh, he encourages them all to remain or to continue true to the Lord with resolute heart. Uh, look very quickly, if you would, Acts thirteen, uh, in verse forty-three. When the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearers, proselytes, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God, to continue. Uh, the manner that they do this in Acts 11 is literally with purpose of heart, or hearts with a purpose. And when God saves people, He saves them with purposeful hearts to remain true to the Lord. The New American Standard reads uh, resolute in the sense of determined or unwavering. That's the nature of the gift that. Uh, God the Father gives to God, to the Son. He saves people by His grace and gives them hearts with a purpose to remain unwavering in faithful service to Jesus Christ because He was faithful to them to give His life a ransom, the one for the many. Resolute hearts. The opposite, of course, is a faint of heart. Or a heart that is always turning, or a fading heart. Sometimes we meet people who are hot for the Lord and over time just seems to go down by massive degrees until they eventually uh, disengage from the Lord. That's not the nature of the gift that God the Father gives to the Son. He gives people with resolute hearts to be faithful. Always uh, remember the words of Margaret Thatcher that once said to President Bush, don't go wobbly. I understand as Christians we sometimes get wobbly. But over time and in degree, the work of the Spirit is to give us resolute hearts to remain true to our calling, full of purpose to honor the Lord. Uh, A true work uh, that engages perseverance. We persevere in the faith. Let's remind ourselves of this uh, because it's so important. Matthew, Matthew chapter ten, and uh, verse twenty-two: uh, "You'll be hated by all on account of my name. So one who has endured to the end will be saved." Go the distance because God gives purposeful hearts uh, back to God the Son. Uh, very important text here in Revelation uh, chapter 14 in verse 12. It's the nature of true faith. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So and you're always going to see people cash in. Walk away. Not worth it. That's not the nature of the gift that God the Father gives to God the Son. He gives true hearts. Hearts that will persevere over time and in degree. Who will go the distance. Who won't go wobbly, in the words of Margaret Thatcher. So we identify with Christ. We follow Him very instructive geographically that uh, there's a uh, name here uh, that is a reminder of the nature of the gift of the father to the son, because it's in Antioch that they're first called Christians. Uh, it's a label uh, that identifies them as following Christ or being Christ-like. Following Christ. Uh, my sheep are my voice. I know them and they follow me. They go the distance. They don't go wobbly. Context is essential. Uh, these are the results of the persecution that began with Jesus and continued with the martyrdom of Stephen. Jesus went the distance. Stephen went the distance. Unflinching and failing and flappable, they did not turn. Now, I understand we fail at this sometimes. Uh, But in the work of the Spirit, uh, over time and in degree, we follow, we go the distance, we persevere. Because God gives to the Son purposeful hearts. Uh, And that's the importance, remembering that what's causing this scattering is persecution. The persecution of Jesus and the persecution of Stephen. What they did do is manifestly important. What they did not do is a lesson to us. They did not turn. They followed the Savior. And that's the type of people that God the Father gives to God the Son. True hearts. Hearts with a purpose. Uh, And that's the point of the eschatological fulfillment in the advance. Uh, when God the Father says to God the Son, you did not toil in vain. Uh, it's a reminder that He gives to the Son many sons who will persevere and go the distance. It's important for us to recognize that all over the world the church is suffering the end time persecution in a physical way. I mean, You read about and, and I remind you of this because it's so important to be reminded of it. I'd like to be a Christian in North Korea. Uh, it's intensifying uh, persecution in China. Uh, tearing down churches. Uh, and by the way, what is God the Father doing? Laughing. It's because they won't get away with it. And they won't succeed. His church will succeed. Uh, And and so we need to remember that in our own country, who knows? Maybe someday men will delete the First and Second Amendments. Maybe it will be a crime to go to a place like Grace Bible Church, and what will you do? You will remember the gift of God the Father to God the Son. He gave people with purposeful hearts to go the distance. Uh, And we should always remember, in my own understanding of the end-time tribulation, that uh, sometimes uh, the tribulation breaks theologically. Theological failure, theological retreat, denial of essential doctrines. Who even thinks theologically anymore? We do. Because we are the sons of God. The nature of the true gift. Uh, Third event here is... uh, We've, we've looked at geographic change, uh, theological change, and then, of course, uh, numeric change. Uh, and so, in verse 24, Luke tells us that considerable numbers were added to the Lord. Uh, considerable numbers were, were added to the Lord. Notice uh, essential theological reasoning, the passive voice, they were added. Uh, Why were they added? Because God was acting upon them. If God doesn't act, nothing will happen. You and I, every day in our lives, are dependent upon the grace of God. Uh, We praise him for his grace because he takes the initiative. If he didn't take the initiative, nothing would happen. He takes the initiative because he's giving back to his beloved son what His Son is worthy of, the nations and eternal dominion. Uh, Let's remind ourselves of this uh, very quickly. Acts 2.47, praising God, having favor with the people, and the Lord was adding to their number. Acts 5.14, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. What's God doing? He's answering the complaint of the servant's son in Isaiah 49. You haven't told in vain. I'm throwing numbers at you. It's my gift to you for your faithful service. Uh, parallel to Acts 6-7, and the Word of God kept on spreading. Why is it spreading? Because God the Father is saying, you haven't told in vain. I'm giving to you what you are worthy of. And the Word of his advancing so much that Barnabas says, I can't handle the numbers. I better go find, uh, go find Saul. <laughs> so... He, uh, he goes to secure the help of Paul. And by the way, that's another important personality shift. We're going to, we're subtly shifting away from Peter to Paul, uh, from Jewish Christians, uh, taking, uh, the word to the Gentiles. Nothing can stop it. Uh, regardless of the raging crowds, tearing down statues, throwing rocks, Heaven is laughing. God is gifting His Son. Uh, By the way, if you're not a Christian, uh, the only way you can become a part of that gift is to sue God for peace and come come to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Ask Him to save you. Be gracious to you. Because only He can. Uh, But the promise of the Gospel is not only that He can, that He does. And so Paul is... uh, Uh, brought in uh, now to uh, the great work. Uh, The grace of God is at work. I want to return to a very important theme, It's kind of a minor theme, but it will cascade more and more important in the book of Acts as well as uh, Paul's epistles. Uh, The Judaizers will never get it. Uh, The Judaizers are simply saying, uh, Christ is wonderful, but we've got to add a few things to Christ. And so they're going to try to add uh, to the work of uh, God in Christ. And uh, they will hound the apostles uh, throughout the book of Acts into the New Testament epistles uh, with uh, the message of grace plus the law. Grace plus the law. So they deny the sufficiency of grace. Grace. And uh, how will the apostles respond? Resolute hearts, unwavering. Uh, The libertines will hound the apostles too with the message that repentance and perseverance are not necessary. Uh, You and I know from Acts 11 that it is necessary. That we have purposeful hearts too. It's part of the true gift of God the Father and God the Son. Perseverance is... uh, is an essential element of true faith. Men and women with resolute hearts. Uh, And of course, the apostles will remain faithful. Why? Because the Son was faithful. And uh, we are God's gifts to the Son in reward for his faithfulness. And uh, we must persevere in demonstration that we are part of God's gift. to God the Son. And so, it's the greatest gift of all time. The nation's eternal dominion. Uh, Men and women with uh, purposeful hearts. And uh, we are part of it.